0: Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you this beautiful, sunny summer day. Well, it's almost summer, right? It's summer. Almost. almost. It feels like it. This is the hope we have. Hebrews nine twenty-eight says, "So Christ was sacrificed once and for all to take away the sins of many, but He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him." This is what we do. We eagerly await Christ's second return, and in the meantime. We seek him, and we grow in him, and we worship him, and we love others because of him. So today, we just invite you to stand up, just greet some people around you, give them a fist pound, and say hey and see how they're doing.
1: We invite you to join us now as we continue worshiping through song.
2: Am I on? Oh, I'm so on. All right, there's that. All right, let's fold our hands, close our eyes, and talk to God. All right, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing day today. Thank you that it is warm out. Thank you that we get to play outside and have an extra day with our moms and our dads and our families. Please let us have this amazing time today, and let us learn amazing things about you. And all the kids said...
3: the belt pack on? Okay. Yeah, you'd think it was an inter... Yeah, boy, that's feeling real hot. Okay. Yeah, there's a ring. That's not in my... Yeah, okay, we get up. Well, good morning. It is a a holiday uh, in our nation. It's a great time for us to gather here and worship the Lord on the Sabbath and be together. Um, For those of you who aren't aware, my name is Bill. I'm typically the campus pastor at Celebration, but as part of the holiday celebration, they held traffic and let me cross the parking lot. So I get to be with y'all here this morning. Pastor Mary has been ministering in Celebration, and we are together. Uh, This gives Aaron and Kendra a chance to kind of get a weekend away, which is always good. I love how we're able to support and care for one another uh, in the way we're doing ministry in this time. So at this point, let me lead us in just a simple time of prayer. And one of the things I'm real committed to is not so much being the prayer person as helping people develop their life of prayer. And so I'm going to leave some spaces in my prayer time where I'll ask people to pray for those who are sick. And you just, in the silence of your heart, You know people that are close to you here in watershed or in your workspace or just wherever you are. Pray for them. There's been a lot of heartbreak and grief all through the country, but even right here uh, in West Michigan. I'll give you some space for grief. So let's, just to let you know how I'm working this, I'll give you some space, and one of the wonderful things about the Lord is that we can all pray together, and he can navigate that. And if we were Koreans, we would all pray out loud together at the same time, and he could navigate that. So let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh Lord our God, we give you thanks for your kindness to us. And we sense a first taste of it as we see the beauty of this day. But we know that it's bigger and greater than we could ever ask or imagine. That the Lord Jesus, who laid aside his glory, that he might take our brokenness, And by his grace, give us the good hope of a future in him that Jesus has been at work to give us more than we could ask or imagine. And so we take a moment and give you thanks for that. Just take a silent moment of gratitude before the Lord here. Father, you bind your people together in community with real people. We learn to forgive and encourage and instruct and share life together. And so we pray this morning for celebration. One of of Hardaway's sister um, congregations and Pastor Mary, as she's probably now finishing up ministry time with them. We pray for fusion in Pastor J.B. as he'll bring your word. And Father, though they're not organizationally part of our ministry, We pray for Mission and Pastor Florencio that there in the Wake sanctuary this afternoon, the gospel of Jesus will be opened up and made clear to people in the Spanish language. Thank you that the gospel is bigger than any one tribe and tongue and nation. So we thank you for that expression right here on our property. Father, we pray for Watershed. That's the, the community, the body you've called us to be a part of, to invest in here. We pray for Pastor Aaron in this time away. It's been a hectic season. Uh, Good things, but so many good things, it leaves you tired. Make this a refreshing season for him. Now, Father, in terms of the relationships and our circle of uh, people, I want to take a moment and just release you to pray for those you know who are sick. Pray for them by name. Pray what you know of their need. For the doctors and nurses, medical care, whatever it may be but pray by name for those who are sick. Father, hear the prayers of your people. We cry out to you. And Father, we pray for those who grieve, who've experienced loss or death, whether near or far. We thank you that just as on the road to Emmaus, uh, you met your two disciples who were struggling with grief and made yourself known. We know that often that's a place we meet you in a different way. And so we pray for those who grieve, that your grace and comfort might touch them in deep and powerful ways. I encourage you, just pray by name for folks. Father, we thank you that the gospel is good news across the entire world. We thank you for the way it's gone out, and even now um, in countries that are on one level closed or seeing great moves of your Holy Spirit, so we pray that the good news of Jesus would go to the utter ends of the earth. I want to pray, Father, for the season of violence we find ourselves in as we look at the world around us. It's a it demonstrates its brokenness, whether it's situations like the invasion of Ukraine, or whether it's our own nation, uh, shootings in grocery stores, churches, this week of school. Father, we see this violence, and even as our hearts break, we're reminded that this was not your created purpose that you've called your people to be at work, to bring justice and peace and hope in the land. But we're honest too that we're broken people doing that. And so we yearn for that day when Jesus our King will return and establish not just human justice, but perfect justice. Not just peace, but, but wholeness and healing. Let me close as we meditate on a passage from the prophet Isaiah. He writes in chapter 11 under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Father, we yearn for that day. Our hearts cry out. Until then, we will worship Jesus and live out the gospel every place that you send us. Equip us for that. Thank you for this time to be encouraged and built up. We pray together in the mighty name of Jesus, and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. I'm going to be reading from Colossians, but before we do that, and this is all going to weave together in some ways, let's see if we can get to the end. This is Memorial Day and it's a particular national holiday. Um, I'm a subject of King Jesus. He is my ruler is what I tell folks. And yet he sent me as an ambassador to be a citizen of the United States. And being one who doesn't like to miss holidays, I'm glad to celebrate our national holidays as well. Memorial Day is time we've set aside as citizens of the United States to remember and reflect on the cost of some of the freedom that we enjoy those who've died those who've given their lives. Um, And I, in particular, am very, very thankful. Uh, A woman, I thought she was a mom, in my congregation in Fredericksburg, Virginia, was killed in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. I remember doing her memorial service at uh, Arlington National Cemetery, and you just realize that there are some things bigger than us. And by the grace of God, I'm thankful for that. So I remember the folks... In my own life, let me tell you about somebody in your own life that's worth remembering we 're here in Holland, right? Do you know the story of Dirk von Ralti? Does the name von Ralty ring a bell? Yeah, Albertus Albertus von Ralti was a Dutch pastor in the 1800s. He was preaching the gospel in the Netherlands, and so the government was putting him in jail and taking away his salary, it can be tough to be a preacher of the gospel. He got out one time and he gathered his family and his church and he moved to the United States. They emigrated and you know where they landed, right here. Albertus von Rauti helped establish Holland, an initial pastor, um, Hope College, all of these things. Well, when he came over here, he had a three-year-old son, Dirk, Dirk lived here with his family for 15 years, and because Dirk had heard his dad preach the gospel, and his dad was an ardent anti-American slavery preacher. Albertus preached that. At 18, Dirk signed up and joined the army Saw military service in Kentucky and Tennessee, part of the Battle of Kentucky of Atlanta. in the course of that, he was wounded, had to have an arm amputated. And I want to read to I've got a picture of a letter. It's in Dutch. I'll have to read the translation. From Dirk to his dad. Boy. <laughs> this is different light here glad I'm not reading it in Dutch. But here he is recovering in the hospital in Marietta, Georgia. And he says, I'm healing well. My wounds appear to be healing exceptionally well. I walk a lot and I appear to be so healthy that no one can think that I'd been wounded. The amputation of my right arm did not weaken me much because I have much time to exercise by walking and thus far also haven't lost any weight. Please excuse my sloppy penmanship since I'm writing with my left hand and it's still a little bit difficult. I'm thankful for folks who have stood and made a difference. Dirk uh, Van Rolte is part of our history, living here and in that. I want to read to you this morning from... The scripture that I'll be unpacking is Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, and I'll read uh, and you all just follow along as best we can there, all right? Paul writes, it's the close of the letter to the Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Anesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, my fellow prisoner, because remember, Paul was writing from prison. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, you know, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him if he comes to you. Welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justus, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, and we heard about Epaphras in chapter 1. He was the person who God used to plant the church in Colossae. He was the messenger who gave that news. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heriopolis. Our dear friend, Luke the doctor, and Demas, they both send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that centuries ago, The world thought they'd put a man in prison and gotten rid of him, and yet because of the power of your Holy Spirit, the good news of the gospel began to move even in that prison. And so he would dictate encouragement to a church he'd never been to, but whom he knew secondhand. That letter would be taken to them. They'd read even a few short years after, there'd be an earthquake, but that letter would not be lost. It would be recognized, and those texts have been preserved, passed down to us so that now, as it were, we can open up the scroll, translate, study, meditate, pray. We thank you for your word, O God, that you have spoken to us in it. Now, Holy Spirit, Just as you began and oversaw that process, now be present to illumine to our hearts and minds. Lift the ink from the page, as it were, and shape our values, still our fears. Give us a mercy that's beyond our ability, that the world might see past us to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for him, and we give you praise for this time together. Uh, These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together. Amen. Amen. Let me try that again. Let us all say together in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You know, I used to preach in African-American churches, so it'll take a little while to get that kind of feedback. Amen. Amen. There you go. It comes and goes, friends. Let's enjoy it all. Uh, Paul had a number of friends, people who would meet through the course of ministry. And there's a moment right here where it looks like life is up. He's in a hard place. He's in prison. And believe me, the prisons of that time were no place you'd want to spend time. Paul's writing from this prison cell. And as I was reading and studying through Colossians over these past weeks, it's been quite the reminder to me that even when I'm in a hard place, Recently, I had to walk into a hospital room where someone I knew and appreciated, prayed for, was on life support. It was the second time this year, and that was a hard place to be. Have you ever followed somebody to family court and sat with them in the midst of that? It's a hard place to be. One of the reasons I love being at Harderwike is because I've had some seasons out of ministry where I had what you would call soul-crushing jobs. I was doing tech support in a call center. Bell South modems. (laughs) Um, Nobody ever calls tech support until they're angry. (laughs) Nobody ever called up and said, Oh, tech support! hope you're having a good day. I mean, it was crushing. But in that hard place, God began to do some things in my life. In Paul's hard place, God began to move through Paul in extraordinary ways. And I want you to realize that Paul, in the midst of this, had six friends that he mentions in this letter. And I'm gonna call those, I'm gonna steal this term from Scotty Smith. If you've ever heard me preach much, I'll often refer to a guy who's really helped shape my prayers, Scotty Smith. He was a pastor in Franklin, Tennessee. He pre- uh, prepares a daily prayer blog. I get it and I pray with him. You can find that on the uh, sermon resources blog we put up there. It's, I, he's helped shape my prayers in light of the gospel. And Scotty talks about his gospel posse, those friends that he's hanging with, that they move together, they know each other, they're sharing life. I want to look today at six friends in Paul's gospel posse, six partners in ministry with Paul. Each has their own story, each in a fascinating way was impacted by Paul and now can impact us as well. The first one I want to look at is this fellow mentioned. Onesimus, Colossians four nine, it says, uh, "Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They'll tell you everything that is happening here." Well, that didn't sound like much to go on, but a few years later, Paul will write to a friend of his named Philemon, and he'll mention this same guy, Onesimus. And what he'll remind Philemon is that I met Onesimus in jail. And he came to faith in Christ. And now that he's out of jail, I'm telling him to do what's right and to go back. Because in the world's eyes, before he was imprisoned, he was your slave. Listen to this, Philemon uh, verses 8 and 10. This is Paul writing to Philemon about this guy, Onesimus. Therefore. Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Ah, there's a good Dutch word, ought. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. There's a gospel word. That I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you no longer is a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. At one point, Onesimus was a slave. He's imprisoned. He runs across Paul in prison. He comes to faith in Christ. And then when no longer in prison, Paul sends him back. What would it have felt like to be Onesimus in that? Now, let me take a little parenthesis. I can't give you as much time as I'd love on this, but a couple of things, because I've used the word slavery, for us to really understand some of the dynamics, there's some things we've got to get square in our mind, and I'll just hit them real quick. Would love to have coffee and talk more. i put some of this stuff on my blog. It's really worth um, understanding better. And the first thing I want to say is this, that what we call slavery in the United States is not at all like what is referred to as slavery in the Bible completely different. Okay? Um, in the U.S., slavery was based on race. In the Bible, it's often more a matter of debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower is the slave of the lender. So it's probably not a good time to have a conversation about the federal student loans <laughs> because of court. Let's move on. It was race-based, it was generational. You know, in the Bible, every seven years, every slave was to be set free. It was not a perpetual state. And the really wicked thing that happened in those portions of the United States that did this, slavery became based on the idea that the Africans were subhuman. They were the humans and they were them. And suddenly there's this separation. Genesis one twenty seven is very clear that all humanity is created in the image of God. There may be poor, there may be rich, there may be educated, there may be uneducated, but all reflect that image of God. The second thing I want to make real clear is the way slavery was practiced in the United States. It's better referred to in the Bible as man-stealing. The Bible does talk a about the kind of slavery that was practiced in the southern parts of the United States. And the Bible calls it man-stealing. Uh, look at Exodus 21.16 or 1 Timothy 1.10. And man-stealing was a capital crime. Imagine if when the first African slaves were brought to the United States, they'd open their Bibles and said, oh, excuse me, Africans, let's move in here. Well. Get you some clothes and a place to save. Those of you who stole them and brought them to the gallows. So it's man-stealing. This man-stealing approach to slavery was never a majority view in the United States. Now, if you went to a Presbyterian church in Richmond, Virginia, I went to seminary there. I've got some history. That's all they understood. And it may be fair to say that many in the United States were indifferent or compromised on the issue, but there were many believers in Christ who actively opposed man-stealing slavery because of their faith in Jesus. We need to hear those stories. You've heard of Duke, I'm sorry, Dirk, Von Ralty, Another great one is Charles Finney. Harriet Beecher Stowe. Ever read Uncle Tom's Cabin? It was powerful literature of the time. She was a Christian and an artist, and she wrote, including taking arguments for man-stealing and deconstructing them in the light of the Bible and the gospel. Here's a Christian artist helping people hear the gospel and stand up. One of my favorite folks is an English preacher named Charles Spurgeon. Now, he was English, but he had a a cross-the-pond presence. When I grew up as a kid back in the, we won't talk about that century, there was a fellow by the name of Billy Graham who had that kind of worldwide impact. I don't know that we have anybody like that now. But here's Charles Spurgeon, most renowned uh, Bible preacher of the time. In 1860, he writes, "'I do from my inmost soul detest slavery "'anywhere and everywhere. "'And although I commune at the Lord's table "'with men of all creeds, yet with a slaveholder, "'I have no fellowship of any sort or kind. "'Whenever one has called upon me, "'I've considered it my duty to express my detestation "'of his wickedness and would as soon think "'of receiving a murderer into my church as a member.'" or into any sort of friendship as a manstealer. So you wouldn't understand that statement if you weren't aware of the Bible's teaching about man-stealing. Uh, another interesting thing about Charles Spurgeon, his sermons were often burned publicly in Mobile, Alabama. Interesting stuff. So I, I wanna make sure that you separate what we did here for a little while in this country and for what's going on in the Bible. But there's this tremendous difference in the Bible between a slave who has very few rights, very little legal standing against those who are uh, with authority and power. And Paul happily spent time with those people, though they were different from him. He led Onesimus to Christ, he challenged Onesimus to begin to live out what it meant, and he called Philemon to see Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother. And you know what, as best we can tell from church history, you know how his life ended? He was bishop of Ephesus, from slave with Paul to brother in Christ to leader of one of the leading churches of that time. It's amazing. So we need to see that in Paul's gospel posse was a man who'd been on the outside of all authority in his world, but who was called in Christ and had a new identity. And in the church, everyone lived by that identity, not by what they were. Let's go on to a second one. In chapter, uh, verse 10, he speaks of Mark a cousin of Barnabas. Um, Here we see this man, but do we remember the story about Mark? It's in Acts 15. It writes, Luke writes this, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted him in Pamphylia and had not continued with him in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. This was just before the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas get crossways over Mark, and they split. And the rest of Acts, you mostly see Paul and what he was doing. But there was this great contention. So when it comes that Paul speaks of Barnabas and his cousin Mark, we know at this point there's been a gospel reconciliation. At one point, They've broken up. They're going different directions. Now, several years later in Colossians, Paul is writing about Mark. He's a friend. Keep up with him. I want to tell you, friends, life in the church and among believers can be hard. Have you noticed that? I used to think that the church was the gathering of all God's redeemed. And then I realized that we don't finish the redemption until the end And right now, it's a gathering of broken people in need of a big savior. And there are times that things happen like Paul and Barnabas. They get crossways. But the gospel of Jesus Christ always calls us to reconciliation. It may take time. It may be hard. There are people in my life with whom I've been unable to reconcile, but I still pray and look for the opportunity. There are a few people that I need to keep some distance because they're so broken they can hurt me. But from a distance I pray, and I pray for that day when what Jesus did on the cross might live in our hearts and our lives. The gospel brings reconciliation between people who once were far off from one another. Paul had Mark in his gospel posse. Isn't that amazing? We should be hanging with people that before we couldn't even speak to. Another guy that Paul touches here is Epaphras. He's mentioned in Colossians 1.7. He's the guy who brought the gospel to Colossae. And it says that he now wrestles in prayer for them. If I were to walk around with a video camera in your day, would there ever be a time that I could Oh, there we go. They're wrestling in prayer. Anything in your prayer life or mine that could be described as wrestling? I want to suggest to you, wrestling is about body-to-body <laughs> contact. It's not a thought or a reflection or a wish projection. It's an encounter with a real-life form, exertion. It takes training and time and effort. Paul described the prayer of a Epaphras as wrestling. I was a young pastor years ago in my first church as solo pastor, and God was beginning to move in some extraordinary ways. And I'll remember for as long as I live meeting Miss Putzy for the first time. She was an elegant woman, much older than me, well-spoken, kind of genteel in this Southern way, very cultured but she was crippled by arthritis and she was in a wheelchair. But in the course of her walk with Christ, she came to faith in Christ in the fullness of the Holy Spirit when I was in the eighth grade. That's how much impact I had on her life. None. But since that time she'd learned to pray, she'd been with Christ in the school of prayer. She would pressed deeply into God. And Ms. Pussy and her husband prayed for my ministry two hours a night. One of the first conversations I had with her, she said, oh, Brother Bill, we came the first time, Buddy and I, and I I heard you preach, and I just knew God was calling me to to pray for you. (laughs) Here I am. You want to know how I've survived? Because years ago, a crippled woman who would learned to pray would join with her husband two hours a night. Wow. You know what I've been asking myself as I prepare for this? Who is Aaron's Miss Putsy? Are we at Hardawike helping people identify their gifting and calling and cultivating and training? This doesn't happen overnight. It's hardly something you sign up for, but can we help people say, let's take a step in prayer and maybe step by step by step by step in a few years. Somebody will come up to whoever replaces me or whatever and say, I just knew I wanted to pray for you. God wants to cultivate that in our body. You can be that. Now, I hope you hear that not as a shame motivating, oh, you would better go pray. I want you to hear it as an invitation to more than you ever asked or imagined. D- do you hear the difference in that? I want you to think that, whoa, maybe there is a kind of prayer that's like wrestling. Maybe, maybe, Find what God is doing in your life. Identify that gift. Let the body confirm it. Cultivate it. Feed it. Grow it up and serve. And if the gift is hospitality, do it. If the gift is evangelism, share the gospel. If the gift is mercy, follow that. But if your gift is intercession, learn to pray. Enter deeply with the Lord. Another person... that we see mentioned in this particular passage is a guy named Demas. (laughs) He's in there somewhere. Rich, I'll let you kind of press through things. Demas is only mentioned as a friend of Luke here, the dear and glorious physician. I see what I did. Yeah, I pressed on. One of his gospel buddies was Luke, the physician, Luke and Acts. This is a man who's well-educated, Able to invest his abilities and his resources in in ministry with Paul. Could he have had uh, an extraordinary medical practice back in Greece? Probably. But he decided to have a missionary adventure at the call of God. And so here's Luke. He'll eventually write the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Paul needed somebody like him, Demas. We just see him briefly here as an associate with Luke, but listen, in a few years later, Paul will write in 2 Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to another city. Somebody who's in the gospel posse of Paul when he's writing Colossians, a few years later, is gone. He loved the world. Now I used to read that and think, oh, so like he became this wicked sinner, joined the mafia or drug addict or just whatever. But you know where I see the bigger struggle? Is not when the evil things distract me, but when good things that are not what God has for me. Maybe he abandoned the journey. He loved the world. We don't know what it's Could mean specifically, but maybe it means he got a really solid promotion at his job and it started to eat up time. Maybe he went on to get another degree. Boy, I had to think about that. What are the ways that the world distracts us? You know, I used to, I earned my way through college playing music, and back in those days, there was a lot of I never took advantage of these things, thank heaven, but there's a lot of stuff out there. You know, I'm not the least bit distracted by stuff anymore, but the things that distract me, the things of the world, even that the world affirms, may pull me out of being somebody's encourager, somebody's prayer partner. Jesus can call you to various things, a good job, a degree or you can pursue those because you love the world. You're going to have to sort through that, the ability to discern and hear the voice of the Spirit. What is God doing? Where is he called you? But make sure you don't end up like Demas. Finally, the last one I'm going to look at is a woman by the name of Nympha. Paul writes, Greetings to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Now, she's only mentioned here, so we have no idea what she looks like what her business is. We know Lydia was a seller of exotic dyes, but we don't know anything about Nympha except that there's a church that meets in her house, and she's part of Paul's circle of relationships. It's as if she would be a key lay leader in a church plant, a small group leader, someone who's discipling people, Remember, we're called to be disciples who make disciples, who can make disciples, who make disciples. And that's what's going on with Paul here. The gospel is moving across generations. And it moves to this woman. By the time Paul has written the letter to Colossians, he's already written Galatians. And there he's written, there is neither Jew nor Greek, so Paul can travel with someone like Luke. There is neither slave nor free, so that Paul has Friendships with people who were once slaves, nor is there male and female. So Paul has in his circle of relationships, Nympha and the church that meets in her house. For you are all one in Christ. Friends, Paul was just living out what he'd written in Galatians with the people that were in his circle here in Colossians with Onesimus the slave, Luke the Gentile, Nympha the woman, all are one in Christ. That doesn't mean that these people are confused about who they were or how they were raised or their experiences. It means that their identity in Christ is the controlling identity, that whatever else they did, whatever other station in life they had, it was fed by their identity in Christ, deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king. Because of that and what Jesus did at the cross, I live out my life as a doctor. I live out my life as an ex-con. I open my home to the work of Jesus. Whatever it might be, there's an identity that, that supersedes all these things. That's why I would say I'm a subject of King Jesus and a citizen of the United States. I'm thankful both. And I know which one drives the other. See, here's a question for you, friends. Who is in your gospel posse? As you think about the circle of people in your life who would encourage you, pray for you, walk with you, are they encouraging you in the gospel or in something else? Who would you name? Even more pressing, though, would be this. Who would count you in theirs? My folks used to tell me, to be a friend, to have a friend, you need to be a friend. See, to have a gospel posse, you've got to serve in your relationships as one who could be part of a gospel posse. Are you able to pray for those? Are you able to share deeply? You know, one of the hardest struggles I had in my life was beginning to identify the great drive of self-righteousness that played out. I could look back in my life and see how for over decades it had poisoned relationships. I'd been trained in it. I went to a really good school. I didn't have to take a class in self-righteousness. But they trained us to win that argument. And that combined with the brokenness of the heart, there were people who loved me in my gospel posse who challenged me. I knew they loved me and I knew they wouldn't give up they had to challenge me to take the blindness of my eyes to my own self-righteousness so that I could begin to repent. Some of you are thinking, boy, Bill, if you've got some more to repent of, I'm just a work in process. But do you have somebody in your circle of relationships who can say, you know, you're, you're living out of fear here. You know, you're unwilling to walk in forgiveness. Yeah, this is America. Usually when two church people get crossways, they go find different churches, right? I want to tell you the gospel brings us to reconciliation. Are there people in your circle of friendships who will call you to reconciliation, who will say, let's go together to this person and talk it out? That's what Paul had. Paul needed that. Paul hung with slaves. How many in your gospel posse are ex-cons? Try prison ministry. Meet some. Who's different than you in your gospel posse? Look at Paul's. Now, again, I'm going to close here and pray for you in just a minute, but I, I just got to say this because we're, we're where we are in this time and in this place. If you hear this and say, oh, no, I see where I'm falling short. Boy, I better get to work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it I'm going to. Don't be motivated by shame. What I want to do is cast a vision for you about what it would look like to see the gospel a little more fruitful in your life, working out. So here's a call to a great walk with God, an adventure, surprise. Hard sometimes? Sure. But good? Oh, absolutely. If Paul could be surrounded by this diverse group of people, If Paul needed that support, you and I do too. Let's be that to one another, shall we? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for the chance to to be with your people, to think of the great love that you have for us and the high challenge. Father, I pray for those who feel lonely or isolated and they hear this and wonder, but if people really knew me. Holy Spirit, I pray that whoever has that voice playing in their mind, that you might speak to them of the adoption we have in Christ and draw them to one person this week. Would you do that, Jesus? It's hard for me to talk about the community that God's calling us to, knowing that we are often so fearful and isolated. So break through that. I pray for others, Lord God, that you'd give a spark of inspiration that they'd begin to think, I wonder if this person that we'd reach out, that we'd welcome, that that we'd speak words of gospel encouragement. Help us each discover our gifts. Thank you for folks who've done that, like Miss Putsy in my life. Thank you that you can make more of us than we can ever make of ourselves. You're a great and good God. You've you've called us by name, and you've named us for your purposes. Help us to, to hear that voice and to say, Yes, Lord, send me. Not that I'll ever be an Isaiah, but maybe I can just be the Linder that Jesus died and rose again to love. Speak those deeply to each of us here this day. Give us a great hope, for we are simply what you desire to make us. Hear our prayer and be with us this day. Fill us with your grace. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. We invite you to stand with us as we sing one more song. This is a reminder that we're invited into God's family and into the gospel posse.
3: There's nothing I did to be the son of Bill and Audrey and because Jesus went to the cross died and was raised again he offers adoption a deeply loved son or daughter the great Creator King that's the gift of the gospel we respond by faith to his grace but it's him so receive this benediction of our God I'll give you the blessing from the book of Jude Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, to Him be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forevermore. Amen? And amen. As part of that blessing, you can express it by
4: maybe taking a chair or two, helping folks get cleaned up. How's that?